Greetings, dear listeners. We had a great time with the inimitable Sam Adler Bell this week. Sam's the co-host of the must-listen-to Know Your Enemy podcast and a keen observer of the right in America. We had a far-raging conversation with Sam about the upcoming presidential election and about Trump's lasting appeal to a solid chunk of America. Why is DeSantis having such a hard time? What is it about Trump's authenticity and DeSantis's inauthenticity that's so easy to spot from miles away? Lots of good stuff about democracy, social class, resentment, and the theater of politics. We really think you'll enjoy it. You may have noticed we moved to Substack last week. We hope you'll head on over and check out all the new content, the essays, debates, and guest writers. Do consider becoming a paying subscriber while you're there. You'll get access to, among other things, the full conversation with Sam. Become part of the crowd. And don't forget to give us a good rating on iTunes or your podcast player of choice. With all that out of the way, on to the show. On that note, um, you know, Sam, it's really great to have you. Um, and maybe I'll just start off with a reflection that will soon enough become a question to you to get us started. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. You're actually a second time guest, which is quite rare. Mm. But you are you are one of I think you're one of the best leftist writers out there right now. Wow. Thank you so well, much. One might say that's a low bar, <laughs> but like on a, on a serious note, um, as someone who struggles with my own political and ideological self-identification, where a lot of people take issue when I describe myself as of the left or left of center or whatever it might be, not to get into that, but I guess as I get older, I... I'm less clear about those labels, but I am more clear about certain moral intuitions and aesthetic sensibilities that animate my worldview. And I don't think they naturally map on well with what's called the left-right ideological mm -hmm. spectrum. But if I did have to choose a label and own it and commit to it, like whenever I read your work, I feel... I want to be on the left, even if other people don't think <laughs> That's I'm on the really, left. really high praise. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. And I mean it because I feel like when I read a lot of leftists, I'm like, actually, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> oh, so, no, okay. But I, so, so Sam, let me, let me, let me praise you in a different way. Um, uh, okay. You know, I, yes. I, let's I, do I, this I, for I, the full hour. Yeah. Well, it'll, this will just be the, the praise Sam hour. I think, I think the, the people are here for that. That's fine. The crowd loves that. No, look, I, I, um, uh, I put it differently. I, I, you know, uh, you're you're a great writer, and that's that's the 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 reality of it. Because you know, I I, I think you're you're a straight shooter, and I don't think your politics necessarily intrude in the, get in the way of good writing. I think that's the that's what separates, you know, someone so who's Demir. You like me despite my politics, and Shadi, uh, well, I, I mean, or wants but, to like my politics when he reads my work. The the beauty of it is is that that uh, you know. Uh, I, I generally know where you're coming from, but that's not what I come to your work for. You know what I mean? I, it, and I think that's that's the um, what I think. Quite frankly, any of us really should aspire to is to is is uh, to engage with ideas and and uh, and get to the bottom of things. I mean, that's what we're doing on this podcast anyway, right? And it's it's um, uh, it's not about sort of partisan sorting. I mean, you know, whatever. I, I guess I'm more to the right of Shadi, but I, I don't think Shadi's all that to the left. I mean, you said aesthetics, Shadi. I think that's a, a weird and interesting thing that you feel like the aesthetics somehow keep you from the left. I'm not sure what Wait, leftist- Wait, wh why do you- oh, I, What are leftist hmm. aesthetics? Like like Stalinist art? Like, what are we talking about here? Like brutalist architecture? Yeah. <laughs> You're just not that. You're into more sort of, I don't know, what, like- Or like hippie co-ops? Yeah. <laughs> Anarchist gardens. bookstores, gardens. Oh, so you like money is what you're saying, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get to money for sure. But Sam, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, uh, well, thanks, guys. Uh, I am now on. I am now slightly uncomfortable. I was. It was good for the first few minutes, uh, and now it's too much. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, the main thing I try to do when I write is make sure it's interesting and has meets my like aesthetic standards. I like that's basically it, you know. And I think if you read a lot of uh, sort of opinion writing on the left, um, there are so many um, quirks and hangups and sort of shorthands that just suck. And it makes it so it is easy to have your eyes glaze over and not really remember what the stakes are, or what, what is trying to be, what the moral content of any of the, the words are. Um, and I just try not to do that, you know? Like, yeah. Especially so now, like the, hmm. go ahead, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought because we're going to start being less nice to you in a minute. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah, good. Uh, well, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, right before we got on the call, Demir was talking about, you know, the news business and how it suffered because Trump left and maybe it'll <laughs> it'll get its, uh, uh, its feedback when Trump is, now that Trump is in the news again. But um, there really was a moment in like online digital news, digital media, when suddenly people wanted to hear from left-wing voices to a much greater degree than they had in the past, um, you know, in the like kind of around the Bernie moment. Um, and sort of like before that, Jacobin sort of started in like 2014 or 13 maybe. Um, and suddenly like there was all this left-wing media content um, and while some of it was really good, and I'm glad that that thing happened because I think probably it helped me get my first pieces. Um, first of all, that moment's over. Um, and so people are having to figure out how to be interesting and have careers, given that, you know, the VC <laughs> capital has dried up for all those digital media outlets. Um, and... Uh, I got bored of that and it sort of their career there, there was a sort of rote way people started writing about left-wing topics uh, that took shape as a result of that kind of flourishing of short flourishing of money for left-wing ideas and um i just uh yeah try not to try not to do that yeah and i feel like there was a moment where i used to you hear the phrase working class a lot more, but especially white working class, WWC. And there was like a whole cottage industry around that. Yeah. And I was just reflecting the other day. I feel like a lot of that discourse just dissipated and no one really took the lessons of that seriously, like as it related to, well, maybe class does matter in these interesting ways. And you know, the phrase working class can obviously be weaponized and, you know, misconstrued by both sides. But the fact that everything now seems to be culture war all the time and, and I, you know, we're, I'm guilty of this sometimes too, like wokeness and, you know, seeing the divide in America as being between um, woke and anti-woke or culturally left versus, I mean, I guess being a reactionary. Um, that that's maybe not always the best way to look at politics. And yeah. so I think we, like, I just have to, like, we all have to be like a little bit more careful about that because I mean, economics does matter. And we'll talk about how it does matter in a particular, in a couple different cases. I, I do want to mention and very highly recommend your recent op-ed in the New York times. It's a big piece. It's an ambitious piece. Um, even though it's relatively short as all op-eds are. It's called The One Thing Trump Has That DeSantis Never Will. Um, so check that out in the show notes. I Obviously, there's a lot to say about DeSantis versus Trump. And as is our want on this podcast, we don't want to get too much into the horse race aspects of it. We want to make sure we're keeping in mind the kind of um, first principles. And that's what's cool about your piece is that you do dig deeper. And, you know, you seem to be suggesting that these two candidates are are just fundamentally animated by different impulses in a, in a pretty profound way. Um, and after reading your piece, I thought to myself, if I was someone who voted for Republicans and I had read Sam Adler Bell's op-ed in the New York Times, based on that, 
I would vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. I know that wasn't your intent. And I don't know if others have criticized you for that, that there is, I don't want to say a sympathy for the Trumpist impulse, but there isn't, I think that you grasp that Trump channeled something important and distinctive that DeSantis very much does not. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but feel free to take that where you will. Uh, well, that makes total sense to me. I did have that thought. Like this is my Trump endorsement uh, op-ed. Uh, I'm surprised that people haven't given me more of a hard time about it, frankly. And um, I don't know if I've said this on my podcast, but Steve Bannon really liked it. Hmm. He oh. talked about it on his on his podcast, which I haven't been advertising because that's that's really how you know I um, I fucked up. But um, <laughs> um, but you know he he was saying like this guy is obviously our enemy, but you know, there's something about this piece that's good. And I think that's probably what he was picking up on. Um, and yeah, I think that's right. I mean, basically what I was trying to do with that piece was the first thought I had is what do we mean when we talk about DeSantis's competence, like so much of the way that the two get distinguished and sort of the foil as foils for each other is that Trump is erratic and brash and, you know, maybe has this sort of fox-like intelligence, but no real book bookish intelligence. Um, that he just operates on instinct, and he's, you know, irrational and um, bumbling. And DeSantis is, by contrast, you know, precise and careful, and he reads all the time, and he's, uh, uh, you know, very well educated and. Um, competent that was what we kept saying this what i basically what was interesting is that there's sort of agreement across the political spectrum and sort of media pundits that like desantis is the competent version of trump trump with a brain mm. um i i read that in you know right-wing publications and left-wing publications and in the middle you know but having a brain and being competent are quite different things though yeah but i think what they meant really usually when they when that sort of shorthand Trump with a brain was elaborated on it. It was about how DeSantis would be disciplined, you know, and competent and um, not be kind of following whatever whim of the last person he talked to, um, you know. Uh, so for, for right wingers who prefer DeSantis, they, they like that, you know, because Trump wasn't reliable for them, you know, hmm. um, DeSantis might be, you know, reliable, um, more ideologically disciplined and more capable of executing the sort of uh the agenda um but i i thought so after having that thought i was like well what what do we what are we talking about when we talk about competence and if trump doesn't have it uh you know what what it, what is what is trump's appeal and in fact is there something about distinguishing them that in that way that points to something Trump does have, like the opposite, <laughs> which hmm. is a sort of anti-competence. Um, this kind of, uh, like I like I elaborate in the piece, this kind of um, a, representing a sort of revolt against the idea that only certain people, um, smart people, certain kind of smart people who know how to speak the, the right way, who went to the right schools, um, can lead and can be, um, you know, be the president. Um, and, you know, Trump, Trump did kind of evince disdain for that attitude. Um, and people who disdained that, even just sort of atmospherically, um, were attracted to him. You know, like, um, the thing that I really loved about the piece <clears throat> is that, like, I, I, I've also been unable to shake. I remember in, in, uh, 2016, the run-up uh, to Trump won. Um, you know, I was working at the American Interest, center-right publication. Uh, we have you know, young staffers uh, that, like, straight out of college, um, usually coming from sort of, you know, conservative backgrounds and yeah. are much more activist-y. You know, I, I've, I've sort of been in, in center-right publications and sort of affiliated with that uh, a lot. But generally, I mean, I don't know, uh, shoddy takes pains to identify with the left. I don't take pains to identify with anything. Um, but but the um, <clears throat> it, it was interesting in 2016 how all my young staffers were uh, just head over heels over Marco Rubio. And I yeah. just remember 
being like, guys, this guy is a fucking fraud. He mm-hmm. is um, he is a good study who has uh, talked to a bunch of interest groups. I mean, at the time, I remember he was really going heavily through his like liberal internationalist neocon phase and was a big study of that. And yeah. and he was very polished. And I, gave, I remember he gave a speech, I think, at AEI, and everyone's like, oh, my God, Marco Rubio and all the rest. And I was like, my God, it's just like it, it's so fake. You can hear and, the white papers in his in his speeches. Yeah, so. you know exactly, and and uh, um, uh, and yeah, I mean that's what would really and and then you know when Chris Christie just demolished him on stage that time, I just I remember coming back to the office the next day. I was like, ha ha, you see, you see, <laughs> that's exactly it. And I can't, I takes, can't takes one big guy from New Jersey to put that exactly, guy in his place. exactly that. And and I I just couldn't shake, I can't shake that feeling about DeSantis too. And I think. Uh, that's something that that like really comes through in your piece. Um, that that uh, yeah, you know, he's sort of like a. Ultimately, he's a Frankenstein monster. You know, he's like he's taken a he studied Trump and and like picked up a few pieces. He's also you know talked to like the Cruz constituency and you know and and just sort of like cobbled together this sort of thing, trying to be you know, a more competent Trump and still sort of, you know, sotto voce speaking to the, like the constituencies of like respectable remaining Republicans and sort of cobbled this all together. But, you know, what I wanted to, to push you on, it's something Shadi said, uh, is about, you know, we don't talk about class, but class still sort of functions in this. Um, I mean, it's as much a question for, for Shadi. Like, what exactly did you mean about that? And I mean, or, and to you, Sam, I mean, is, is, is this, is this a class question in the traditional sort of the way the left talks about class? Is this a class issue or would you care? I, I, I think of it as something else, but like, do you guys, the two of you think of it in terms of class? That's what we're talking about here. He's more authentically speaking for a class. Uh, should I go first? Yeah. However, go ahead. Um, well, there's, there's, there's a couple things going on for one thing. That's like, um, there's a weird thing that's happened with our sociology, right? Where basically when we say working class, we mean undereducated, right? That was like kind of, that's kind of all of the um, sort of Trump white working class meme is about his support from the uh, less educated, which is a proxy for class in most of these conversations. Um, but the funny thing about that, which doesn't always, you know, obviously was as we all pe- are always being told, that doesn't necessarily map, map up with income necessarily. Um, uh, you know, people people can own car dealerships um, and not have graduated from high school and stuff like that. Um, but what's interesting is that in my piece, I am sort of talking more about the education divide so um uh it it's one of the things we're finding in whatever preliminary polling you can see about the primary republican primary electorate and which which candidate is getting which base um DeSantis is doing way better with the highly educated and Trump is continuing to hold on to the highly educated in the cities and suburbs and Trump is holding on to the less educated and people in rural areas his like his base is hold he's holding on to that um and I think, but when it comes to this question of like, uh, you know, elites, technocracy, um, sort of expertise as being sort of what Trump was, a, was um, represented some kind of disruption against the cult of expertise or competence or what, or sort of Ivy League and, uh, superiority, um, that is, it doesn't necessarily have to be about class. Um, but it like these things are elided because of that kind of sociological elision that has taken taken place um over about what is class but um if that maybe that's enough for now we'll see what shadi has to say yeah i mean it is worth underscoring that there are elites who can be quite poor and are quite poor i mean i know some of them a lot of them live in new york um so you can be you know, a junior staffer at, um, or semi, you know, somewhat junior person at a leading cultural mainstream institution, like say the New York times, and you'll be seen as being part of the elite. Yeah. And you'll probably even see yourself as being part of the elite, even if you won't admit, admit yeah. that in, in quite those terms. And that's really remarkable that, 
um, and then that you can have um, a poor elite, but then as you mentioned, Sam, a car dealership owner or small business owner who's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, if not more, who could see themselves as representing um, the lower so, classes. Some kind of underclass. Yeah, underclass and revolting against elites. Yeah. So in some ways that obviously dilutes the impact of class as we traditionally understand it. And I mean, that's obviously part of the problem in a lot of this is that Americans seem to struggle to be class conscious. And maybe that's also a good thing. I mean, do we really want to be like Britain where class has, I think, a more distinct and narrow meaning? Um, and, you know, there's probably a lot there we can unpack. But I do want to, I'm curious about this this point about you know, DeSantis is a Frankenstein monster, and it makes me wonder if there's something about the Republican base that absolutely desires and needs what might be called authenticity. Yes, I was about to put the bring the A word into this. Yeah, yeah. because I think that's the issue with Rubio. That's the issue with DeSantis. Even when I'm observing them from afar, if anyone asks me, like, what does Ron DeSantis actually want or desire or believe? I'd struggle to give you an answer of any sort. It's sort of the same way I feel about Mike Pompeo, if people remember who he was. Um, you know, you don't have to remember him, but that, you know, wait, what is this guy, what is this guy really about? And I don't think anyone looks at Donald Trump and wonders, wait, what is this Trump guy really about? On a very visceral, intuitive level, we know what he's about. At least we know I think I know well. what he's about. Yeah, all too well. Yeah, but, but but you know, it's 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 <clears throat> there's a there's a yeah a thirst for authenticity. But it's it's maybe just to add another another word to it. It's an it's an authentic resentment. I think is what it is, and that's why you know as I was pushing both of you on this idea of class, whether you know the white working class we've forgotten about it as an explanatory variable, and maybe it's making a comeback. I wonder if that's if it was ever the the right explanatory variable, right? That there's that there's a, a sort of a, a deep well of 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 resentment about now resentment is maybe I mean I think it's an accurate word to use, but maybe not fully descriptive of it. There's a kind of like a revolt really is what we're talking about and 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 it's 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 wedded to a certain kind of resentment of the status quo but it's it's a it's a it's a desire to overthrow and 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 it's uh you know rubio's sort of uh frankenstein uh was was actually just a frankenstein of of establishment stuff and so he had stood no chance against uh against trump for that um but but it's it's uh, where DeSantis is. He's cobbled together some Trumpism into this sort of stuff, and it's just it's not credible. I think is what it is, right? Um, and it's a credibility that he's not playing into into that 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 mindset of overthrow. Like I mean, is that right, Sam? It's like where, where and you know I mean this is this is your job. Your 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 job is is uh, you know know your enemy. And I mean you've you've done oh, a yeah. lot of this, and it's like so it's resentment, right? It's something like that that's at the core of this. Um, well. There, there's. Uh, I wanted to say something about Trump and authenticity first, which mm. is that it's obviously, and it has to be said, and every time this conversation happens, it does get said. There's an irony, obviously, because he lies all the time, and we know that he's <laughs> lying all the time, yeah. and everybody knows that he lies. Yeah. Um, so he's he's authentically inauthentic often. Um, but really, what he is is he's the con man. He's the that's it's right that he's he's the the old a very known. And sort of, uh, a sort of, yeah, long-lasting sort of character type in the American myth mythos, which is the the music man, the person who comes to town and lies and lies, but you want to believe the lies more than you care whether they're true, um, and you and you know ultimately you enjoy getting conned, um, and that's Trump. Um, so that. The, the, it's never been hard for me to reconcile the inauthentic or his lying with his authenticity because he's authentically a liar. One um, might even say that his lies reflect a deeper truth. <laughs> you, you, you're saying that. <laughs> uh, good, good. <laughs> that's that's um, that clip becomes a social media. Oh like, God, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> it. But but I do think this is actually like a right wing trope that I have heard. Like apologists of Trump have. It's also it also I think hits at the take him seriously but not literally like words yeah. like 
Trump uses words in a postmodern sense. They're not meant to convey meaning or accuracy. They're meant to convey states of mind. And I think what feels authentic to me about Trump is his state of mind, that he is resentful. And that yeah. never seems t- to waver. Um, and that seems to drive so much and, of and who he is. And he's wounded. And wounded. He's, uh, something was taken from him that he wants back. Um, I think uh, t- this can get us back to kind of DeSantis and the questions of uh, el- the elite. But did you guys watch Dave Chappelle's mon- SNL monologue when mm. he was back no, on SNL it. a few few months ago? It's uh, incredible. No. It's okay. absolutely great. Um, and he does a bit about Trump. Um I actually think he might say, I think I made a crib from him, authentic liar, because he does he does this bit about Trump where he's talking about how Trump was the guy who came out of the house where all the, the rich, fancy, important people were. He came out of the house and he came out and he said, you know what's going on in there? They're they're doing drugs. They're having sex with children. It's just as disgusting and terrible and greed fueled and uh just you know off moral morally vacuous as you think it's just like that you're right and then he just went back into the house (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know on on the on the con con man thing you know i i I remember um when i when i was working at the american interest with uh with walter russell mead i know he always sort of encouraged uh junior staffers and you know not having read the book myself i, I remember back then I, I did give it a quick read uh there's a herman melville book called the confidence man and and um uh walter would always say that this is a really important like ur text to understand america and yeah. this is, you know, this is pre-Trump. He was saying this, and it, it's because, I, I, as I recall, you know, Melville sort of uh, conjures up this character, it's like traveling on a riverboat in Mississippi, and 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 it's it's less a novel and sort of just a, a series of anecdotes about this of this guy moving through America and swindling America. But the the flip side of it is is that that Americans want to be swindled by it. You know, yeah. there's like a there's a real um, uh, almost desire. And and there's something about you know a man on the make and like doing whatever it takes to do it that 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 like also taps into something American you know like totally and and, and maybe well, even a sense of 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 maybe imposter syndrome that to see someone pull it off yeah. on such a scale it taps into a certain kind of feeling like of possibility yeah <laughs> you know well I'm, yeah it's like the American dream in a weird way so yeah that's I totally agree with that and there's there's uh that's one of the things about trump and again it's like these are they're these are truisms now but like you know the people who look down on trump trump would basically say in in effect that the people who look down on me look down on you too yeah and and that's just true you know (laughs) like um like whatever you want to say like you know basket of deplorables was maybe not like the the hugest uh, you know, mistake she made in that campaign, but it's it was saying what every what a lot what a lot of elites felt, and liberal elites, and it was it was the, it was a gift to Trump, obviously, because that was his message. They hate me, in the same way they hate you. Um, you know, like I I I think this didn't end up in the piece, but I had a line about um, everybody remembers when Trump said. Um, I love, I love the uneducated. I love the uneducated, you know? <laughs> but what people don't remember is the next line, he said, we, we are the smartest. Yeah. We are the most loyal. Yeah. Oh, wow. He okay, that is himself, interesting. He included himself among them. And I think everyone always understood that, that he meant himself to be among them. Although sometimes it's also like the insult comic bit where like they like to be, you know, uh, shit on by him for their crude ways or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think but that's, doesn't that bring think us back there. to like the the dominance of culture war? Because what Trump is conveying here is not; it is fundamentally about disdain, resentment, and humiliation. And I think those map onto cultural modes, perhaps more than strictly economic or materialist ones. Uh, just like as a little just aside, and it just came to mind right now. Um, you know, Tom Friedman, uh, putting aside what one might think of him, you know, uh, coming on this podcast, like, and just assuming what's going to happen is that Shadi is going to bring up Tom Friedman 
Like, you guys are really fulfilling all my expectations. Go on. The funny thing is I don't actually bring him up all that much, but he was, I think he had a particular insight after 9-11. This must have been in the early 2000s, where I think the quote is something like, um, humiliation is the most underestimated force in politics and international relations. He was talking about right. Muslims then, right? If I remember. He was talking, <laughs> he was talking, he was about, talking about how we needed to go blow up whatever Muslim country <laughs> right. we could. Humiliation to humiliate and them. grab them by the testicles. And like, wasn't that the, the line? Something like that. Like, the, yeah. take, grab the humiliated person. Anyway. Like, we, yeah, like we got to make them feel like something like we got to make them feel pain. I mean, yeah. I don't think he mentioned genitalia per se, but, um, but I do have. think, there, but I do think there is something quite insightful but then i i do wonder sam like does doesn't that trap us in the cultural mode and as far as i can tell from your writing i think part of you is enchanted by cultural debates and you obviously love culture and um, and, and reading because you read a lot of books in your you know in order to write what you write and that's a big part of your podcast know your enemies reading um reading voices from the cultural right but at the so i guess i wonder if you're if you're sometimes torn that part of what you're arguing for seems to bring us towards culture but maybe deep down you want us to care more about class i mean i think it's lamentable in many respects but i also don't think uh i don't think just saying let's talk about class let's talk about class over and over again and everything one writes really makes any difference i mean people do that all the time you know um so you, you have to like you know play the hand that you're dealt i think <laughs> um yeah. I, I i mean i agree obviously what we're talking about is all these kinds of like you know sort of atmospheric like affects of politics instead of the actual material uh you know material realities and 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 sort of relationships of power and and you know but but these things are those things are mediated by these affects in in our politics today so it would be a mistake to just i just i mean i know a lot of people a lot of people also i'm just not actually like a particularly good uh you know i'm not like an a, an economics uh <laughs> knower <laughs> i'm not even not even like a marx a good marxist you know like um I, uh, my feel for politics has much more to do with the kind of culture, the ways that which politics and, and even, you know, material realities are mediated by culture. Uh, so that's what I have yeah. to do. Yeah. So how, how real are the material realities then? I mean, because obviously they're mediated and there's a lot of variables and they intertwine in complex ways. But I mean, I guess a fundamental question, and maybe it's too simplistic to put it this way. There are some people who seem to feel and believe with every fiber of their being that human beings are fundamentally animated and motivated by material interests and objectives. And, you know, that is a first principle debate that we're not going to resolve here. But I, but how real is the material reality in the sense that even if it is mediated by all these cultural affects, presumably there is still a core of economic grievance would you go that far? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think material reality is real. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, you saying you're saying, you know, like economic materialism. It, let, let me let's just jump in on, on one thing, because I, you know, I don't want to lose this thread before we get on this, because you said, you know, you said uh, uh, the basket of deplorables, right, as as, you know, an unfortunate misstep. And I immediately remembered a piece. Let me see where it came, when it came out. Uh, 2019 by Matthew Walter came out in The Week. I don't know if you guys remember oh, it. The Barstool uh, Conservatism piece? Uh, no. Uh, it oh. was uh, it was just a, a quick week. It says the title is The Jeffrey Epstein Case is Why People Believe in Pizzagate. And, 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 and he has that's this, right. and he has this incredible passage. I'm just going to read it here. Usually Shadi reads the things in dramatic voice on the podcast, but I'm going to read it in a non-dramatic voice because it's just, it's, it's so right. Goes through basically detailing all the, the stuff that was coming out about Jeffrey Epstein at the time. And yeah. he says, we should keep all this in mind the next time we feel inclined to sneer at so-called quote, low information voters, especially the kookier sort, you know, the people I mean. 
wackos, gun nuts, 8chaners, conspiracy theorists in middle America who watch InfoWars, one of the few journalistic outlets to discuss the issue of pedophilia regularly, and post about QAnon and spirit cooking and the lizard people, the news that a globalized cabal of billionaires and politicians and journalists and Hollywood bigwigs might be flying around the world raping teenage girls will not surprise them in the least because it is what they've long expected, suspected. And, and... And, you know, so it's it's not just missteps by the elite that they say things that they 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 believe. It's like in that case, so now, they're actually on that plane. I, <laughs> and, and 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 that's to the Dave Chappelle point as well. Right. About like Trump. And I'm, it's but but that was a, a unique moment in in the sort of Trump thing that that has been kind of forgotten. I just thought that piece just really nailed it. So, I mean, maybe that's sort of a, a you know, uh a pushback again to this question of like how much does class matter in it it's there's there's always been in america and you know you wrote another piece uh for at my current home the washington post a, a book review about the birchers um there's a there's a there's a deep thread conspiratorial of conspiratorial strain. thinking and you know hofstadter yeah. and 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 all of that but even hofstadter himself sort of attributes this to a kind of you know that's not us. That's like that outer America. And this is like yeah. boiling on the outside. I've just been struck by, you know, that it's always been there. And and yeah. and I was talking to a friend about this the other day. I, th I think it's maybe um, the younger generation that, that really came uh, to political consciousness under Obama, that they felt that America really was different. Me coming up, I played in punk rock bands. I lived in Baltimore. Like, we had a feeling of, like, and the music I listened to in the 90s, it was just, like, weird, obscure stuff that really, like, em not embraced and celebrated, but sort of, like, em that, like, latched onto and looked into the abyss of sort of that seamy side of America. It didn't celebrate it, but it was like a the grotesque- American berserk. Yes, yes, yes. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, uh, go back further, Hunter Thompson's whole sort of writing, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole, uh, underbelly of fear and loathing in Las Vegas is him finding himself in that, 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 uh, uh, what was that? A conference of police officers high, high on acid at yeah. one point. And, you know, I mean, he's, uh, the descriptions there are amazing, but that it's, it's getting at something that's always been there that I think that there's something that people that came up under Obama, they were like, no, progress is real. No, that's not America. This is the America. I think from my perspective, having lived through all of this, I think Obama was a uniquely talented politician who was able to maybe maybe lift up the discourse for eight years. Um, but it was only discourse. He himself was actually a pretty cautious pragmatic politician who Chicago talked a big game politician yeah. yeah and 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 I, I you know i i think of all the politicians in my lifetime the only one i'd really love to talk to is obama to get a sense of like what lies underneath this and i think shoddy on foreign policy has, has dinged obama a lot for talking a good game but not living up to his principles i've always found obama quite charming in the fact that he was able to talk such a good game but actually lived existed in the world as it was you know what i mean like and he he yeah. he existed in he's america a, as a, it always was he's so, a burkean yeah kinda kinda and 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 america is america you know and yeah. this is not to say this is not for me to be like particularly somehow uh you know uh fatalistic about it but it is to just look at it in the face and that's what yeah. was so amazing about trump is that like it was all the arguments you know uh uh, that were, I think, really teeth gnashing after after you know eight years of Obama. Trump comes in, it's like racism is back. It's it's reverting. All the rest of this. I don't believe for a second that tr that Obama wouldn't have trounced Trump, and we would have had twelve years of Obama or sixteen years of Obama. Quite frankly, if that was possible. So in fact, I don't think America was transformed under Obama or was a different country. It's just that like Trump is. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Trump revealed the authenticness of America. America is all of that, ultimately. But yeah. but Trump is a very important, very authentic and permanent facet of America as well. Well, well Demir, I would, maybe, I would maybe just add George W. Bush to the story because I, I don't think we can really talk about 
Obama without talking about what came before. And in this sense, there is a continuity that, you know, both, both Bush and Obama spoke to a kind of intellectual elitism. I mean, let's not forget that the Bush administration was populated by PhDs and people who were like quite intellectually engaged. I mean, some of them were, were neoconservatives. And, um, and I think there was a bipartisan consensus, if you will, up until Trump that smarter, more intelligent, more educated people should be the ones governing America. And I don't mean that as a pejorative. I think that's actually the way a lot of governing elites think about their own role in democracies, that there are better people to govern. That's why we have technocrats and specialists who focus in particular niche areas and so forth. But, um, you know, I think it is, at a basic level, elites weren't good at being elites. Like, I think the argument for them would be stronger if they had actually done a good job. But particularly with George W. Bush, we see a rather disastrous job on any number of levels, whether it's managing a hurricane or whether it's managing a war. Um, but I think the same the same argument can be extended, maybe at a less you know less intensely with with Barack Obama and some of the fail- failures that we saw in both foreign policy and domestic policy, which is that sometimes really intelligent, brilliant people who are very highly educated are not particularly competent. Don't you think Obama would have won, though? And that's this gets back right. to something you've always talked about, like output legitimacy. I think Obama would have won again. And Bush that, and Obama were good at actually reaching out to the forgotten class, if you will. I mean, Bush's oh, yeah. whole shtick was that. And Obama, I remember, was Obama actually- Obama 2008 was, that, that exactly. campaign was incredible. In exactly. That, exactly that regard. Exactly. And, you know, I was going to bring that up. I remember Obama, you know, uh, talking- around 2008 or maybe after his victory about the efforts he made, especially to reach out to regions, uh, to parts, you know, the electorate that he knew he wouldn't win. But he went yeah. went to the trouble to, to go talk to them. This is Hillary's unique failure is that she failed to do that and was yeah. somehow, you know, uh, uh, snooty about it, like not just unable to reach out and like even try, but like just failed to connect completely and was just reaching out to to the sort of educated classes. But again, you know, it's 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 the mistake here Shadi if 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 you'll allow me, I think is is something that you're very attentive to in the macro sense in democracy promotion and the stuff of it. It's not it's not output legitimacy for any of this. Obama's failures and Bush's failures were not tied to their success as politicians. And I I think for all of Obama's failures he would have destroyed Trump. Like oh, what's you know, output legitimacy? Hmm? What's output legitimacy for me and the listeners? What's output legitimacy? Shadi, go ahead. Like, I mean, I can talk about it. Output legitimacy yeah. is this idea mm. that like outputs of that 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 like politicians legitimate themselves by what they deliver rather proof than proof is in the pudding. Rather than yeah, yeah, proof's in the pudding rather than through politics. And and you know, uh, I think Shadi, you'll correct me on this, but like I think, you know, where we've usually gone on this is basically that uh Shadi's line on democracy is that democracy is a good in itself, whereas autocrats often say, forget about that democracy shit. I'm just going to give you the goodies and I will deliver. So that's kind of that output legitimation. That's why I'm just digging Shadi on this, yeah, saying that yeah. like Bush and Obama failed to deliver and therefore it's the failure of the elites. I think Bush and Obama were, you know, all faced uh, divides in the country, but both succeeded to bridge them in order to win. Now, Bush less successfully. He, he arguably, you know, in yeah. the first election failed on a lot of this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take issue with some of this analysis, Demir, if, you, if you'll indulge me. Of I mean, um, you're right that Obama would have won, but I think that is missing whatever the saying is, the forest for the trees, or maybe it's the other way around. But um, even if Obama was a very successful occasionally charming politician who people wanted to vote for, there's like a broader thread of resentment and disappointment and anger that's building from basically post 9-11 until 2015. And that's a product of elites of both parties. And with with Obama, um, you know, the, the financial recession, I think, which somewhat surprisingly doesn't come up all that much, um, you know, when we talk about the past, but it is worth remembering that that did happen. And, you know, others 
can make the argument a lot better than I can. Like, uh, you know, someone like Matt Stoller, who's been very, um, who's been very focused on the point that Obama basically bought into corporate elite preferences and bailing out banks. And there wasn't any real recognition of the profound income inequality that was building and has continued to build since then. I mean, all of this kind of creates a sort of mood music for the resentment that Trump is able to tap into. I mean, a lot of Americans have a fundamental sense that something has not been right for a long time. It hasn't worked out well for them, um, whoever them is, you know. Uh, don't like, isn't there something deeper here that Obama could have maybe papered over that and won another four years, but he wouldn't have been addressing something structurally deep, a kind of rot that was rotting. Sam, over to you on that one. Like, I, I mean, I, well, I think we've set our piece here now. Like, adjudicate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I tend to be inclined towards that, you know, the elites deserve, uh, deserve the scorn that they, <laughs> that they receive. So, uh, I, I agree with Shadi that there were real kind of failures, um, and a, like a long trajectory and a lot of, lot, whole lot of mood music, um, for things like Trump, Trump's rise and Bernie's relative success, um, so yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think the question of like these individual presidents and kind of whether they uh, succeeded at telling a story about America that enough people could see themselves in to, to kind of hold something together that felt like it came undone under Trump, that might be that these kind of real resentments about f elite failures like inform that question. But it's also it's also just like, you know, I, c I could see the argument that this sort of between the two of you, which Obama kind of held something together through the force of his extraordinary personality and political uh, effectiveness, um, which was already breaking. Um, and, and then it came undone when he was gone. I don't think that if that's the case, that doesn't necessarily mean that these um, these deeper you know, sort of trajectories of elite failure and the and their consequences aren't real. Um, I think it's just so interesting to have to. I mean, I, this is gonna this is so banal. I've been doing too much podcasting, but it's like it's very interesting that the presidency of Trump followed the presidency of Obama. But 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 to me, in part because of that that question about the feeling that like the the berserk just like was unleashed by Trump that feeling that like Obama, the Obama years were the years of good order and, um, and sort of hopefulness and the Trump years were the, the era of, of, of insanity and resentment. Um, of course we know that's not entirely true, a true story because you know, the political forces that maybe were formed in opposition to Trump or in opposition to Obama had a lot to do with Trump. Trump says like, you know, tea party, that's just my people now. And that seems to be more or less true. Um, but, I just I think to go back to the kind of big American archetypes thing, which I just liked. I like talking in that idiom. It's fun. Um, I, I, Americans have such they're, they're weird creatures in the sense that they can be so hopeful and so cynical mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so 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 cynical and so naive. Um, but doesn't cynicism come from hope? Ultimately, How? like lost hope, you're saying? Yeah, to, the only like way to, to become truly hope. cynical is to have really believed and hoped, yes. like this, like a scorned lover. Yes, yes, I think, I think, yeah, Americans protect themselves from their hope with their cynicism and their cynicism with their hope. Um, and so, I just like people say about Obama, like I wanted to believe in the America that he described. People on the right say that, you know, and I and I think that's true. I think people did. He was very good at that. But, um, you and, know, but I, I don't. But I don't necessarily think. Again, I just don't necessarily think that the whole explanation is that Obama didn't deliver that America, and then people became cynical. I think there's uh, it's more there's more going on, and those and those that cynicism and hopefulness are in tension at all times in the American psyche. Yeah, you know what 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 I, I guess for me, and I, you know, Trump's not an orator. I mean, he's he's sort of 
does all this stuff from the gut. Um, but it was Bannon and uh, and Steve Miller who wrote the American Carnage speech, right? And yeah. and uh, uh, I I remember listening to that uh, in real time. Um, and a lot of commentators were like, "That's not the America I recognize." To me, mm. it was it wasn't so much that it was the America I recognize, but it was an incredibly powerful speech. Um, and 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 I remember even thinking then is just like, what kind of speech would a third term Obama have given? It would have been very likely an equally powerful speech, knowing Obama and his capabilities, just in a completely different vector. And I think it yeah. would have resonated similarly. This is just my argument on yeah. on politics and the fact that that you know, I think when we if we focus too much on these you know on class and sort of economic things and deliverables, I think I think we miss something because. Because American Carnage uh, arguably doesn't capture, you know, uh, like certainly not a full picture of America, but you know, I mean, it, it's 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 cartoonish and it's cartoonish yeah. in a negative way. That that quite frankly, a lot of Obama's soaring rhetoric is cartoonish in the positive way, and it's just well, resonant, the, you know. There's also, it, I mean, yeah, and it matters. I do think it's so hard to remember what. Once when when you know in the beginning of the Trump era, we were all trying to figure out like what what did get undone? Did he break some fundamental rule? Like you know, well before he tried to stay president after he lost an election, but did he break some kind of fundamental rule of politics of the way to do politics, the way to talk as a president? Like, and what was it? You know, um, and I do think that one thing that's just universally better for a democratic polity is like like calling on people's better angels rather than rather than um inciting them to their devilish instincts and i just think just fundamentally you you got to do that and i and i think now and i and i think now it is it is something that's a little bit unfortunate about the way that the democrats have embraced uh you know kind of because it worked to demonize trump and trump voters so much that it seems like they they wanted they won these elections um the uh the i uh, you know the kind of the basket of deplorables has been kind of like softened and um become just a sort of normal part of democratic party rhetoric at this point um so while i do think obviously biden is more of a calling on the better angels type politician than trump um there's something about that what happened with you know, polarization in the parties and the media and the, during the Trump era that, um, you know, it would just seem laughable uh, if to give a speech like Obama's, um, you know, there is no blue America, there is no red America. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I forgot about, I, I, I mean, obviously it's one of his most famous uh, rhetorical flourishes, but it's just, just hearing you say that right now, like my, like, I can't even believe that we could have Imagined our country that way, just and like they 15. did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was from the, I think that was the from the O four, yeah, or from the, uh, yeah, the O four speech. Whatever it was, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, the two thousands, I guess. But he kept that theme while when he was yeah. president. No, too, right. So. But you know, exactly. so so it just gets to 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 the other part of this, which is, uh, you know, get back to that question of resentment and authenticity and how that sort of pans out. You know, I mean, one of the phenomena, and I think one of the phenomena of of that DeSantis is trying to capitalize on was that uh, a certain uh, sort of segment of professional uh, conservative Washington and elites and sort of power brokers, uh, you know, they 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 tried to embrace and tame Trump, came away burnt, especially after January sixth. They felt like absolutely never again, um, and so DeSantis is trying to cap uh, capitalize on that, but. I'm, you know, here's my prediction right now, 18 months in, um, Trump is going to own the Republican Party uh, within 18 months. And, you know, the Bill Crystals and the dispatch folks, they are going to be a rounding error um, that that actually, you know, uh, the that 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 desire for uh, what Trump brings to the table is more appealing than uh, Trump himself is unappealing. I don't think yeah. this means he's going to win. Because I do think that there's some subset of swing voters that won't, uh, uh, you know, vote for an indicted man, and I think you're you're going to see that in turnout at the end, in a what will probably be a close election. That's how I'm sort of 
you know, anticipating it right now. But I really do think that this idea uh, that that you know there's a faction of the Republican Party that would rather uh, you know support Biden and Democrats. Uh, then um, uh, line up behind Trump is way overstated. I think you're going to see a real consolidation around Trump because of this resentment stuff, because of that authenticity, because his authentic um, nihilism actually taps into something real for voters that, and to your point, you know, that Biden in his, and the Democrats in their own sort of approach to the post-Trump politics have sort of entrenched even further. Yeah, well, Demir, before you brought up DeSantis just a minute ago, I'd forgotten that we were even supposed to talk about Ron DeSantis, <laughs> or even that Sam's op-ed was ostensibly, well, at least had Ron DeSantis in the title, which I think goes, which illustrates something pretty important. I mean, he's not, he's not psychologically or anthropologically compelling. No. Like we always, we're falling back on much more interesting things to talk about um and maybe that maybe we should just say a word or two for Ron DeSantis I mean, let me think of something um well I read his book he has a what's book? the book his new his new book the good? courage to be free <laughs> sounds great okay not that... to be confused with the Paul Tillich the courage to be ah interesting <laughs> clarification did he also have a book in 2011 like Ron DeSantis, this yeah, is his... he had a book like right when he got elected to Congress too. Okay, uh, and you read which that? Was all you about... read the new one? Yeah, I've read a bunch of the old one too. the old The old one was all about Obama and how Obama was a secret Marxist. It was like a classic, classic ah. of the genre. Um, this and one, the new was one? A, the new one's just a campaign book. It's really bad. It's really stupid. It's short, stupid, but it's funny. One of you said, I think it was definitely shoddy. You said that people feel that there's something wrong with the country, right? That is literally the first line of his book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, mm. but... Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know that how, you know, how bad that is for... I don't think that takes away from the point, I, but I do... I think maybe it's just kind of like he knows that that's the thing to say because that is kind of in the part of his Frankenstein that is the Trump resentment part. I think... The, the other thing I thought about when we were talking about um, kind of the American conspiratorial, the American weird, weird America, um, is that this is something that I also think, so the, the, the uh, refrain at the end of this book, um, uh, DeSantis's book, is make, uh, make America Florida. Um, Wait, like literally? That's what he says, make America oh. Florida. Oh yeah. wow! Okay, because the whole book is about how 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 Florida has resisted the woke mind virus, and uh, you know we did we did uh, uh, the pandemic right, and you know Florida is now the kind of citadel of liberty and normal America. Um, Does that have a lot so, of appeal to non Floridians? I I just wonder about it's like... weird. It's weird, but I was but what I was gonna say is just that it's so funny. This is like one another way in which he doesn't really compute. I feel like just doesn't doesn't work on a gut level is that Florida is one of the weirdest places in America. It is so weird. And it's so, you know, like you just, you can't really have one idea of Florida in your head at any time. You know, you drive to different parts of it. Um, just obviously like racially, it's super diverse. Like it's just, a, it, and, and there's just like, it's a literally a meme in, 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 in America, like the Florida man. It's just like somebody doing something stupid or crazy. Um, and so it's just, I just think like the, the miss, the mismatch between DeSantis's sort of like hyper normative vision for uh, what, uh, what America needs, America should be as this kind of more conservative, you know, patriarchal, anti, you know, weirded out by trans people uh, image is like it does, just doesn't map onto Florida at all. I mean, if you make America Florida, it just gets way weirder but, than but, it is now. Know, to your point there, I, that's it's really interesting um, because the other fantastic phenomenon, right, is that uh, as soon as uh, DeSantis, well, I mean, it, it became be, it started before DeSantis started when DeSantis was uh, governing Florida and COVID and and all his sort of 
COVID posturing and his moves and things like that, conservatives started building him up and building up Florida yeah. as this. So it actually yeah. fits into this kind of, you know, conservative orthodoxy. And that's been so fascinating to watch Trump right now. Like he's he, the most late, the latest attack has been Florida's a, Florida's <laughs> a shithole. So like <laughs> yeah. Ron DeSantis has destroyed it. And it goes against every single talking point that Republicans have set up as like so the, the virtues of it. He doesn't care. He flips on it and it's going to work. You know, because it doesn't yeah. matter. None of this stuff matters. This is the 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 argument against output legitimacy and, and, and you know, that like he's delivering on stuff. Trump turns around and the best part, the other part is like, you know, this is where Trump's horse sense comes in. He delivered the justices to overturn Roe v. Wade. And now he's attacking DeSantis for being too extreme on abortion in Florida. Yeah. Like, yeah. again, brilliant. Like, because he, he sees where the, the thing is. He's like, people, don't be stupid. And they're going to follow him on this. They're going to be like, yeah, absolutely. We need to win and stuff like that. So again, mean, it, mm. yeah, I don't go on, Shadi. But isn't this in line with Trump's anti-competence? Because essentially what he's, you know, militating against is DeSantis's claim that he was a a competent governor of a major state and got things done. And this is actually a major point in your New York Times piece, Sam, where you basically argue as far as that DeSantis is a kind of technocrat. He does actually talk a lot about performance or output legitimacy. Um, He he does. does talk about sanity. He does talk about results. He does talk about delivering. And I think that's hard for maybe a lot of uh, liberals in America to get their heads around that actually Ron DeSantis is someone who respects expertise and takes it seriously. And I think as you point out, he the only difference is that he relies on different kinds of experts and different kinds of expertise, but he still values the idea of expertise and that there are a group of people at the top who can make better decisions and be more competent. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. one of the one of the kind of uh one one of the things I pointed out in the piece is the covid thing, which like that's like still one of his major claims to fame on the right is that like oh well, we re- reopened Florida fast because, you know, of because we believe in liberty and protecting, you know, small businesses and stuff. But um uh you know, when you look at it, what he actually did in the reporting on it, you know, he he met with, you know, the epidemiologists who signed the um, you know, the Bar- Great Barrington uh, statement, which is just like this alternative view about how we might deal with this uh, pandemic. Who all are, signed by experts. All. Yeah. Harvard, AEI economists like um, like experts. They're conservative. They're maybe more conservative or they're a little more. They're different. They have different ideas about epidemiology. Uh, but they're experts, you know, and the, the whole and in the sort of profiles of DeSantis, like uh, Bhattacharya, the uh, epidemiologist from Stanford, Stanford talks about like meeting him. And he was so amazed because he read all these preprints and like medical journals and stuff. And it's like and that's like the, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like he's 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 another expert. He's a he's he's a, a you know, a, a, a calm, you know, cool and uh, competent hand at the tiller. Um, and uh, and he and he knows how to converse with these types of people. Um, it's just a different. It's a different sort of thing than Trump's thing. So with, with and then if you this, think about mm. Trump's Trump's COVID performance too, it's like it's also Trump, Trump's COVID performance was legitimately erratic. It was crazy what he the the way he was doing doing things. <laughs> um, certainly the way he was talking about it. You know, I mean, you know, uh, the the vaccine stuff. They did a good job and. Um, but it was genuinely like while he was doing those three things, remember, it was like, whoa, this is a, cr- a crazy guy. He's a crazy. And like, this is concerning, uh, which is just different from choosing to listen to particular experts who tell you, you know, actually, you can do this instead. And if we do the plan this way, then you don't have to close the schools. And um, that's that's that's, you know, precision, discipline, competence. It's just different answers. He just he obviously Florida is a tourism state. Like the state was going to be so fucked if they didn't, if they really shut down as much as some other places. Um, 
Well, and I guess so he got found yeah. the experts to that told him that. But, but you know, before you jump in, Shadi, you know the 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 interesting thing about Trump, though, again, is 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 his lack of principles. Because I don't know if you guys remember, for a little bit there, he tried to get conservatives or you know whatever Trumpists yeah. to. To after January 6th, after he was out, if I remember correctly, he was saying Operation Operation Warp Speed, we did it, you know, et cetera. And My stopped, vaccine. And that and that that just he dropped that like a hot potato when that just like no one followed him on that. He was like, okay, that, that's it. You haven't you don't hear him talk about that anymore. But he tried yeah. for a second to to be like, actually, we got stuff done. Then people were like, boo. And it's like, all right, nah, fuck it. Well, they sh- it's, they should have let. Uh, you know, Democrats should have encouraged them to call it the Trump vaccine. Yeah. You know, like everybody yeah. who gets it, you know, it's that was a real missed opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess. OK, so this raises a question. The Donald J. Trump Memorial vaccine. <laughs> oh, that would... Memorial. Oh, <laughs> that's catchy. <laughs> that's it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus.